Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Team USA finally getting on the board with a win. A big one, too. 108-80 to 80 over Argentina in their third exhibition game. Their first win in exhibition play. We're going to get into what's going on with that team. We're also going to get into the NBA Finals. Heading into Game 4 on Wednesday night in Milwaukee at Fiserv Forum. Seems like we have ourselves a little series now. There is a little bit of concern that I have with the Suns in one particular area. And there's not many. But we'll get into that as well. A couple of coaching hires. At least one is official. And that's Jamal Mosley with the Orlando Magic. Willie Green is the plan for the New Orleans Pelicans, according to Shams Charania of The Athletic. So we'll get into a couple of those. I'm sure that there's some rumors that Brian is dying to talk about. But... It's your boys here on Keeping It 94. Back again with you once again as a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Brian's back home, no longer recording from an empty room. I can see the beautiful bookcase behind him, the usual setup. I'm still here in Cleveland. It's raining like hell outside, by the way. But it's been a pretty, pretty decent weather weather week for us. So I can't complain. So you didn't like it last week when I was holding a microphone in my hand while sitting Indian style on a bed that was about six inches off the ground. Yeah. You know, it's just not the same. I like seeing the black bookcase. I like seeing the poster to your, to your left. It's, it's just feels comfortable, you know, like that's, that's what I think is, is, is the essence of keeping it 94 is us recording this right on zoom, looking at each other. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know we have breaking news. I know we have breaking news. Hold on a second. (laughs) I I need to take umbrage with something you said, because you already have like described me as like the rumor monger of this podcast. Like, it's not like I I live for the rumors. I I need the scoops. (laughs) Oh, what's the wild ones that are out there? Oh, look at that. Look at what somebody conjured up over here. <laughs> Brian loves to know where players are going to be in five years instead of looking at the moment. That's exactly I, what I he like does. I like the moment and I look ahead, but I, I am looking ahead to one Kawhi Leonard who had surgery to repair a partially torn right ACL. And I do wonder if that means he will be missing the beginning of next season. Hopefully when it says partially torn, that means that it's not as bad as a regular ACL injury, but that certainly solves a mystery. Does it not why he wasn't playing for the Clippers there 
uh, in those Western Conference finals against the Suns. So we got something answered there, even if we might have assumed it before. Now we have some confirmation. Well, the report was, I believe uh, Shams had said the Clippers feared that he suffered a torn ACL. And then he was never sitting on the bench. He was always up in the skybox. And every game, it was like, it was like a running joke. I always thought like, all right, at what time today are the Clippers officially going to say Kawhi is not eligible to play in tonight's game? And basically that that's what happened game after game. And it was, I don't know if they were just kind of like holding out hope or if they were playing a little mind game. But once he missed a couple in a row and you had seen that report, I was just like, I don't feel good about him playing at all. Like, I, I don't know how he can play out. I don't know if he really has a torn ACL, but whatever he has, it's serious enough to where he's not joining his team on the bench. And I don't think he's going to play again in these playoffs. And now we finally know why. Yep. And I think when we were watching those games and Kawhi was in the skybox and in the suite, it just gave me these vibes. Like he was going to be a hero to come save the day. So we're like 1996 sting with WCW. He's just sitting down there. He just, all of a sudden Kawhi comes down, down from, from the, the Raptors. Raptors. <laughs> Does he have a baseball bat with him and clears the court? He might be. I mean, if there was a, a wrestling character to compare Kawhi to sting probably fits the bill. Would he go crow face? Not sure. Not sure. Maybe we'd have to ask did that you, to did you refer, Would you prefer surfer Kawhi over, you know, crow Kawhi? I don't know if there was ever surfer Kawhi. That's quite the wrestling reference right there for all you WCW Stinger fans. Late 1980s. Oh, Lord. But we're not here to talk about wrestling, even though Kawhi, again, would make a great sting. Again, this is Keeping It 94, a part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. You can follow me on Twitter at Spin Davies. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian Fritz. Me on Instagram at Spin Davies. Him on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. We're going to talk about USA pounding Argentina today, as they should have. Um, I know that this is a global game now. This is something to where the world is catching up. We saw it in the first couple of games. One against Nigeria this past Saturday, and then again on Monday against Australia. Both games that the U.S. lost, and people were in a frenzy over it. Now, is there reason? was there reason for concern at the time? Yes. Um, these are good teams that the United States is putting together as far as talent goes. It, you know, it might not be right for individual play to outweigh, you know, the team concept and looking at, you know, what other international teams do, sharing the ball, being connected on defense, communicating. But we also have to remember that those teams have played together for so long and have known each other for so long that they're kind of like teams that have been ready. Whereas the United States, these guys have been in the program, but maybe not all of them have played together all once at least. I know Damian Lillard's a first-time Olympian and Bradley Beal's a first-time Olympian. It's not those days where you can just slap together a bunch of names, 12 guys on one team, and expect them to work right away. And there's a number of factors, too. And I, I, I highlighted this on basketballnews.com because, again, there, there is reason for concern. And, you know, by no means is this it. And they're going to just sail to a gold medal because that's not how it is at all. 
but it does take time to establish chemistry to really get into game shape again, get into any kind of rhythm uh, as, as one cohesive unit. And that happens when you get reps and when you're on the floor together and when you know where guys are going to be, you know how to kind of motivate your teammates because not everybody responds the same to, to, to different types of uh, ways to motivate. So it's all excuse. It's all excuse making. It sounds like, and you know, in, in some cases it is, but on Tuesday night, USA came out and punched Argentina in the mouth. And that's the way that, you know, Kevin Durant plays and Damian Lillard plays Bradley Beal. I mean, there are five guys in double figures and uh, you know, the assist total was a lot better uh, in this, in this regard. So I think that everyone's just going to be fine. Um, I don't want to say that they're going to win the gold medal just by default, but you just look at the talent that these guys have and at the NBA, which we know is the world's best basketball league, um, there should be no reason why they shouldn't contend for a gold medal. Well, the weird thing was, and it's not taking away anything from those teams that beat Team USA when it comes to Nigeria and Australia. And By the way, I knew on Nigeria, sorry not to cut you off. Etan Thomas had a really good interview with Obina Ikezi, uh, who's a Nigerian born player. And he was basically, you know, kind of fed up with the the disrespect of the, the way that the media treated that whole situation. And uh, it kind of extends further to the way that the media treated the, the Australia situation. But um, continue, please. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is like for those teams, and I'm, I'm definitely not taking anything away from them because they earn victories. And we can sit here and say those are exhibition games. Okay. I, their teams did not treat them like an exhibition. And when you beat Team USA, there, there are no excuses. You could sit here and say, yeah, Team USA hasn't been together. They don't have their full roster, which they don't. You could say this, that, and the other. But when you have that kind of talent and with the expectations that come with it, um, that, that means you better win or else you have some explaining to do. And you're going to face pressure. I mean, look at, look at what happened after the loss to Australia and uh, you know, Pop got a little ornery in the uh, in the presser with uh, one Joe Varden of the Athletic, and some of that I think is just Pop's trying to defend his team. I think some of it is because he's trying to maybe lessen expectations, saying, "Look at these teams, man. We're facing good teams. International play is not just a cakewalk for Team USA anymore. These teams are really good, and we're not guaranteed to win, much less blow out teams." So it's, you know, they've earned those victories uh, and, and they should celebrate them. But I, I think we've been kind of waiting like, okay, you have this talent when it comes to like, you know, in the first two games, you've got Durant, you've got Draymond, you got Bradley Beal, uh, you got Jason Tatum. And you're saying, going, that's enough. Like, I, I know you guys haven't played together really before, but that should be enough talent to take care of business. And they didn't in either of those games. And I think they finally got the message a little bit more and, and Tatum didn't play, you know, against uh, Australia because he's got a bad knee. Um, but regardless, you know, this is the way that I think team USA finally said, okay, let's finally put it together. Let's take this a little bit more serious. Let's go out there with a purpose and 
And they did, and and they did win. Excuse me, not against uh, Australia, but against Argentina. And they came out, and they were not flat in this game. They came out from the get go, and and they took it to them. And this is what you want to see from this team. It's not being lackadaisical. And by the time you try to get your butt into gear, it's too late because that's what happened in the first two games, especially in you know the game against Australia. Because you're like, okay, you're going to kick into gear. And instead, it was Australia that did that. And they're the ones, you know, in a tight game that took the lead. And we're like, we're not giving this up. Yep. And and FIBA Patty Mills, by the way. God, I love watching him play. Oh, FIBA Patty Mills. He was going nuts about Patty against uh, KD. He broke down KD on the perimeter and got to the rim and, like, scooped it in. I was like, Patty, just when he plays for Australia, when he's got the boomer uniform on, that dude just goes nuts. And he did the same thing in a friendly last time against uh, Popovich. So maybe it's kind of a signal to pop. Hey, you know, maybe uh, I shouldn't just be a catch shooter, huh? But can I ask you a a question about, uh, about the, these games then? Yeah. And, and I know we'll probably talk about him a little bit later, but in seeing these games and you see the pride that these players have for playing for their country, should Ben Simmons be playing for Australia? Australia has been uh, outspoken about that. And Andrew Bogut specifically uh, right. has been, was outspoken about that. So um, I think that it, it should be up to the player. Uh, if the player wants to, you know, work on his game individually and do it that way, then fine. Um, obviously, they would love to have him on the team. And it probably would have done him some good to do something like that. Uh, but. I, I guess I don't really know uh, if I should have a problem with it more than, you know, the team itself would have a problem with it uh, just regarding uh, his decision. Well, I, I understand why he's not. And if it's because he is actually working on his game right now, if he is literally locked away in a gym with some trainers and he's working on some specifics for his game when it comes to his shooting and, and other things like that. Then I totally get it. Um, like if he's really hunkering down when it comes to, you know, not playing for, you know, his country. I mean, I, I understand why those guys are disappointed. And I do wonder if like, yes, you just had a long season and yes, you just went through a lot of criticism and yes, there was a mental aspect, especially in the playoffs that he had to deal with. But I wonder if, playing for his country and being around guys that, and I'm not saying he doesn't get this from the Sixers, but it's a little bit different because it's around his fellow countrymen kind of a thing that there is a different kind of, of love there, shall we say a different kind of embrace, you know? And I, I wonder if maybe that would have helped him mentally. I get, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's on the player and I understand the disappointment from other guys because they're sitting there going, Hey, we want to try to win a gold medal and you could be a big part of this. And, you're talented and we want you here. But if he's doing it for the right reasons, saying, I don't want to be there because I just went through this horrible thing in the playoffs and I have got to work on myself. And I know that the Olympics are the summer, but I just can't do this because I am at a breaking point kind of in my NBA career or I'm at a crossroads where I know that I have to be better. I have to do better, and I have to work on that specifically this offseason, and that means I can't take part in the Olympics. Yeah, and I have a couple of counterpoints uh, to that. It's, you know, look at all of the players that didn't 
accept the invitation to go to the United States team. You look at James Harden, you look at LeBron James, Stephen Curry, those guys, you know, turned down the opportunity this year. And maybe it has something a little bit to do with fatigue too, man. I mean, these guys are coming off of playoffs. They're coming off of a really grueling season, 72 games, uh, lots of three and fours, five and sevens, whatever uh, you want to say about the, you know, the, the rigorous schedule. And that kind of is another factor that kind of plays into maybe, you know, why the guys were so sluggish to start. Um, I think so. Is, and I mean, just coming off, I remember it's a long season coming off a shortened off season. And this off season is going to be shortened going into the next NBA season. And you have yep. the Olympics in between. And then you'll finally be back on track. <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, yeah, no. So, so that's, I think another, you know, thing that we have to take into consideration with people that declined their, you know, Olympic invites and everyone's their own person. Everyone has their own uh, opinions and everyone has their own, you know, decisions to make. So um, that that's as far as I think I'll go into the Ben Simmons thing. But with USA, uh, another thing that, that I noticed, too, in the first couple of games and even even tonight in some point um, was that the officiating kind of has gotten to their minds a little bit. And by what I mean is that officials internationally they let stuff go and they let guys play physical uh they don't do the the whole jumping into a contestant the three-point line they don't call you know every bump there's uh, no superstar they, calls and they're they're not going to allow for flopping yeah yeah and i think it's abundantly clear too uh Cranges mcbasketball on twitter uh had a really good thread on the first couple of games about how these guys have reacted to that. And, it, you know, admittedly, that is something that the NBA, you know, probably needs to work on uh, as far as not rewarding guys. But at the same time, you know that the league is pushing offense, they're pushing record breaking, all of that stuff. So um, I think it's interesting to see the dynamic and the differences uh, between what the Zebras call in the NBA and what they call in the feeble level. But I mean, if, if that's, you know, was the expectation coming in, then that's something that they'll have to adjust to. Uh, you know, there's a lot of adjustments that you have to make a period when it comes to international basketball, because the competition is so much different um, just, just from a togetherness standpoint. Uh, and going back to that again, Nigeria played together. They were moving the ball. They were defending precious. Achua had an amazing block on Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, whereas U.S. at first in the first couple of games were taking a lot of one and duns, uh, kind of similar to what the Bucks were doing when they weren't working. Uh, you know, a lot of individual play, um, you know, isolation, defensively not communicating, not being aggressive defensively the way they were against Argentina on Tuesday. My goodness, it was like night and day. They were swarming those guys. Uh, so the, those are some lessons to kind of be learned, I think. And, you know, luckily it's an exhibition play. These games really don't matter. You said it the best, though. They matter on a national stage, though, because the countries, they see a target on United States back. And they're like, we're not intimidated anymore. We are going to go for the throat in these friendlies. We are going to take advantage of the ball that we know how to play. And I think it's really good for the game. You know, I, I pushed recently here. Uh, an article that I did with Chris Ebersol, he's uh, basketball operations internationally for the NBA. 
And we had a great interview about basketball without borders and how different countries are developing players, how there are so much, uh, there's so, so many players and the influence of the international game on the NBA. Now, almost 25% of the league is international now. So many instances for these, these teams that are not the United States, there's still NBA talent on these teams, man. And I think that that is great for the game. It's showing you just how talented these guys are when they're not in, you know, limited roles and they get to do other things on this stage. So I've, you know, enjoyed watching the international competition so far. Obviously we're just getting started. Um, The U S has another rematch coming up with Australia coming up soon. So I'll be interested to see how they respond to the way that Australia did uh, against them on uh, Monday night. But I, I, I've enjoyed it. I mean, if you want, want to really highlight uh, who stood out, uh, especially against Argentina, I think that Bam Adebayo was the, the, their player of the game defensively, uh, really using his size, um, altering shots, really doing a solid job of finding cutters. Uh, this was a great game for the United States just as far as, uh, you know, trusting one another, 27 assists. Uh, I don't recall the numbers from the first two games, but I guarantee you they weren't as good as 27. Um, and, you know, Bam did a really good job of, you know, using his body against a smaller Argentinian team. Uh, that's going to be big time because, you know, the U.S. has three bigs, if you want to count Draymond Green and Kevin Love as bigs. Uh, so that that's going to be, you know, crucial as far as the group play goes and, and how far they get. I think that Damian Lillard uh, is doing a really good job of when guys, by the way, Argentina went, went under on like four screens on Dame and they learned real quick not to do that. <laughs> um, and, and he got going really good. Uh, and he did this. He, they weren't going under him on, on uh, the Australia game, but he still made him pay regardless. Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. He looked like KD um, again, active defensively active in swinging the ball around the perimeter. I was really big fan of that. Draymond Green defensively today uh, was a really solid presence and uh, just really used his, his smarts to uh, do some good things. And, you know, being a Cleveland guy, I I can't help but notice how much of a step that Darius Garland is taking uh, just from not being afraid to put shots up, even when he's on the court with guys like this that are former MVPs and all-stars uh, he looks like he belongs, and that's that's really good uh, coming from a Cleveland perspective. The way that that he's confident shooting the ball, uh, getting inside, making plays. He had a really nice assist to Draymond Green um, earlier in the first quarter. So they, you know, they've got a long way to go, but uh, this is a step in the right direction, and I think that that's that's a good thing for the U.S. I will say one last thing when it comes to these international teams. So many players from international basketball now playing the NBA, they are not in awe of NBA superstars like they once were. They're just not. And so many of them have played against them, um, have competed against them, and have done well against them as well because of just how much the game has grown around the world. So I think that plays a big factor into it. And by the way, I think we all want to see at some point if Team USA can take on Luka and Croatia. That's the matchup we want to see at some point. I mean, hey, I, I mean, I know they're going to play Australia here in another exhibition. Maybe they'll play somewhere in the games 
as well. There, there's there's a lot of interesting matchups, but Luca against all of Team USA. It would almost be like the international version of the Dallas Mavericks because you know Luca's going to play the same way, and um, that could be really interesting. And you know, we'll we'll see exactly who makes the rotation, like you said, because you know Team USA is extremely talented, but it doesn't mean that they're a perfect team. There are some possible inefficiencies, and we'll see how they deal with that um, depending on each matchup. Two things. As the number one Luka fan that you are, you just said Croatia. It's Slovenia, my friend. I meant Slovenia. Oh! <laughs> but no, they, they, they qualified first time yeah. in the nation's history. So, no, I really would look forward to seeing that. Uh, they're not in the U.S.'s group, so you have to obviously hope that both of them advance from group play. But right. how awesome would that be, though? It'd be Luka, yeah. Luka takes on the entire U.S. Like, that is just, that that's an amazing story. You want to talk about storylines, like NBA loves storylines. That's a, a that is an Olympic storyline in, in and of itself right there, man. Yeah. Slovenia takes on the U.S. behind Luka Doncic, man. That'd be awesome. If, if, if Team USA is, say they're down by a point, or two points or tied with five seconds left in the game. Who do you think is going to be the go-to guy that pop's going to look towards? Is it, I, I understand they could just be a hot hand kind of a thing. You got three clutch it, dudes on that team, right? But, but you got four clutch dudes but on I'm, that team, but I'm sitting there going, which guy is the alpha dog that says it's going to be me and insists on it or gets pop the, you know, say, Hey, it, it, it's I'm I'm gonna be the guy. I'm gonna be the one that that brings it home here. KD's gonna draw three, and either uh, Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal is gonna be open. That 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 that's my prediction. If it, if there comes a scenario like that, I, I want to see like if some does KD need to go because he he would seem to be the the number one guy. But does KD need to go to Pop and say hey? Or because Dame seems like more of a guy to be like hey. <laughs> We know this ball's coming to be right. Come on. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I don't think there's, I'm not saying there's any infighting or anything like that. It's just, it's just interesting to see who, who is that guy when you get into crunch time and you have so much talent, it's like a, almost like an all-star team that says, no, I am the guy that's stepping out and taking care of this. So much stirring the pot you're doing, even for your own country, Brian, what well, are you I doing? Mean, Look at look at all those times, like even when Kobe did that, when yeah. it's so much talent, Kobe's like, <laughs> I'll take care of this, boys. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> that's that's what Kobe did, man. Uh, special shout out for Argentina, by the way. Luis Scola, he's done after this year, but still going strong, man. 25 years uh, of his career. And man, you know, I remember watching Luis Scola light it up for the, the Rockets when uh, it was, you know, the mid 2000s. And he looked, you know, he's got the the touch of gray going now. He doesn't have the the locks anymore, but he he was really aggressive in that game, and it was just cool seeing uh, Luis do his thing. Uh, but uh, poor Argentina also suffered at the hands of a Zach Levine cram. That was an incredible dunk, um, and that just goes to show the the highlights that can come out of this. Uh, really, really could be fun. So it wasn't we'll a Cam we'll Johnson like dunk, but you know. Perfect transition, actually. So from Team USA into the NBA Finals, Suns still hold a 2-1 lead, but Bucks coming back home, 120-100, they win in Game 3. 
looking for that split in game four on Wednesday night. So a, a little bit of a uh, recap here of, of game three. For me, man, honestly, it, it, it ultimately comes down to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. But we're, we're completely burying the lead. If we're not talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo coming off of that knee injury to where he admittedly thought his year was over and just absolutely dominating the series, completely dominating the series with the size, with his smarts, even hit 13 to 17 free throws in game three. So this is, again, the frustrating part about the Milwaukee Bucks is that they can be so Jekyll and Hyde, even at the NBA finals stage, but they're, they're right there. They're right there. And the biggest thing I think that they can do, and the Suns are in a world of hurt if DeAndre Ayton gets in foul trouble again at any point in the series. That, that is, I think, the number one thing that I noticed about that game. As soon as DeAndre Ayton came out, I mean, he came out scorched, and he scored 16 points uh, in the first half. Might have even been the first quarter. Um, and, and, and he was really just kind of, you know, grabbing every rebound and doing what DeAndre does. But once they got him in the foul trouble, the Suns had to turn to Frank Kaminsky and they just got ran out the gym. And then they had to turn to Cam Johnson and it worked for about four minutes. Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder as your five and your four, it worked. Small ball worked for a minute. They were hitting their shots, big time, uh, you know, response that they made. But then the Bucks just completely took control. Drew Holiday knocked down four threes in the third quarter, ended up with 21 points and nine assists. Chris Middleton, they didn't even need him in the second half. He was huge in the first half um, and had uh, 15 of his 18 points and was making plays. Once again, what do we talk about? When are the Bucks at their best? When they're passing the dang ball. They had 28 assists. Chris Middleton was always the guy with the ball in his hands. They got Giannis off of the short roll. They got Giannis cut into the hoop. When Giannis actually had the ball in his hands and he was driving, he was finding guys either on the outside or finding cutters. And that's what happens. The ball has energy and you're going to probably benefit. And that was the first time I think I've seen the Suns. Kind of, I don't want to say that they shied away, but I think they were kind of a little shell-shocked by that offense because they were like, we didn't see this in Phoenix. What are we going to do with this, especially if we're not hitting our shots and we go 9-31 to 31 from deep? Well, people talked about, like, the, the, the ongoing talk about the Bucks during the playoffs has been, like, they don't make adjustments. That's kind of been the rep of the Bucks, But they've been making adjustments in these playoffs. And the big adjustment has been, don't just give Giannis the ball at the top of the key and let him have to think about what he's going to do. Instead, they are getting him the ball in motion. He's in action. So where he doesn't have time to think, he doesn't have time to sit there and go, oh, what am I going to do here? Instead, it's just attack, attack, attack. And you can see the difference when it comes to points in the paint because that first game of the series, it, it was about even if I remember right, but Phoenix was had a lot of points in the paint. Phoenix wins game two, but it's not as much when it comes to points in the paint. And then the Bucks dominate them, points in the paint in game three. And they've kind of figured something out with Giannis because you're talking about back-to-back games of 40 points. He is... He was in the paint that entire game. And like you said, 13 to 17 from the free throw line. And he just knows. And he's figured something out. And mind you, he's overcome like this injury as well. But you can just see him getting healthier and healthier. But you can see his confidence as well. Because I wondered about that 
when it came to the series against the Nets. You could you could literally see the gears grinding. And he was trying to think about what to do. And I think you saw that in game one of the series. But in game two, something started to change. And he dominated in that game, and it carried over to game three. And now the Suns are in some legit trouble. The Bucs have momentum. Game four is obviously going to be a huge one from the standpoint that can the Suns regain a grip on this series or do the Bucs even it up? And it, it's just amazing to watch what the Bucs did, especially in that game three. I mean, they they lost game two, but they, they started to unlock something, and you could see it. And the other thing, too, is with the Suns, they are banged up. I mean, Chris Paul is doing fine now, but – you know, the, the Suns are really thin. They've been playing eight guys. I mean, they played more in the last game because they lost by 20, but they are really thin. You're really starting to see this right now. And when Aiden gets in foul trouble and Booker doesn't have a big game, they're really in trouble. No, yeah, I I, I would have to agree. Um, it's it's kind of interesting uh, how... For me, at least, uh, when I'm looking at, you know, when Chris Paul is in playing and campaigns on the floor, and we know how good campaigns been in this postseason, the splits of his percentages at the rim are night and day from home and away. So that's something that I think uh, we should keep an eye on. Uh, I think one, I think one is like 70 and the other one's 36. Like, yeah. Well, here's the thing though campaign has not been the same. Since he rolled his ankle in that game, Which is a shame. game three against the Clippers. Because since that point, in the six games since then, he is averaging six points, three assists, and around three rebounds per game. And by the way, he's only been playing in maybe 20 minutes a game or less. He did play 25 in the last game, but, you know, in... Game two of the finals, he only played in 10 minutes. Game one, he played in 17. His minutes are down, and he's, I mean, he is hurting out there. I mean, he's going to play through this injury, but you can tell it has had an effect on him because he is not as explosive. He doesn't look as confident out there. He's only been in double digits once. That was game one of the finals. I mean, there was games earlier in the playoffs where maybe he wasn't putting up huge points, but he has looked a lot better you can tell he's moving a lot better and he is not moving the same since then. And the bucks really need him. Um, they, they need him and they need Booker to step up because Booker, we, we saw this in some of the other, you know, previous series where he could just kind of take over these games and, you know, that backcourt of him and CP three was just lethal. And we just didn't get them in the last game. And I still don't exactly know why when the Suns were like, let's make one last run and let's bring in CP3. But for some reason, Booker did not go back in that game. And I don't know if they just decided to rest him or what the reasoning was. Um, I thought it was kind of curious. Maybe they just felt like he needs to sit on the side and watch this. And maybe this will help him going forward that he can see it from that vantage point. I'm not exactly sure what the message was there, but I mean, they, they were out of that game anyway. I didn't think they really had much of a chance of catching up at that point. Um, but I, that's the guy that I'm really interested in seeing is how does Devin Booker 
get himself back in the series and just say, Hey man, I'm, I'm one of the alpha males in this thing. I've been, you know, a huge part of this team, you know, getting to the finals and I have to get it going again. No question. No question. And, you know, if we know Devin Booker, we know that he's not going to shy away from the moment. He's probably going to put up plus 20 shots uh, in game four because uh, he's, you know, coming off of probably his roughest game, maybe of the playoffs. I mean, his game one of the finals wasn't great, but right. the Suns still won. And I always thought like, well, he's not going to have another shooting game like that. Well, he did. <laughs> yeah, these defenders, man, these defenders are good, man. You got, you know, Chris Chris uh, Middleton and you've got Drew Holiday. P.J. Tucker's gotten up into him a little bit. Um, these are these are legit defenders, man. And uh, it's 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 making them work. And I think that that's the message that the Bucks have had throughout this. You know, the in the media sessions, all they talk about is how in these playoffs through each series, no matter what the you know beginning of the series have been, is that they've progressively gotten better with each game. And I think that you know this is kind of in that trajectory at the moment, uh, the way that they're going about it. So I, I think that that's huge. Um, obviously I think that Bobby Portis just at home is just this force that you can't reckon with. He is, he is such a jolt of energy off of that bench. Uh, just particularly in Milwaukee. I think he played five minutes in game two or five minutes in game one. Like, and uh, it, it's crazy to me how different, uh, um, you know, Bud's decisions are uh, with, with Bobby when he's at home. Maybe he just knows that he just energizes that team uh, when he's in front of that crowd in Milwaukee. But he was huge. Um, you know, I still wasn't particularly thrilled with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday's shot selection. But to, to Drew's credit, he was making off the dribble threes. And, you know, Chris... Chris is going to be Chris, uh, but they were getting into some second side action. Um, but, you know, it's still a little too pull up heavy for me. Uh, but I think that, like you said, they're starting to figure something out. And if if they get that and they can pull this game four win off, then you're looking at a completely, you know, different series, to, to be honest. And, and when you look at the first couple, you know, first game, first, first game particularly because the the Bucks basically were a turnstile, uh, but then the second game the Suns kind of lived off of that three point shot, and um, you know the Bucks, like you said, discovered something that game. Uh, I'm I'm genuinely curious to see how Phoenix responds on the road. One, uh, but two, the Bucks may be smelling water, blood in the water. I I think they are. I mean, if Drew Holiday can continue to play because we talked about what a key he is. And one of the other things that we talked about too was Brooke Lopez does have a place in this series, but doesn't need to be a little bit more limited than playing close to 30 minutes. And look at the difference between game two and game three, 28 minutes in game two, 21 minutes in game three. Giannis we, the five, baby. Giannis at the five, a little bit more. I still think that PJ Tucker, they got to watch those minutes a little bit because all he's going to do is stay in the corner. That I say all he's going to do, that's his offensive game. But you can hide a defender on him in the corner when he does that. But he, but what he brings on the other end of the court is probably the main reason why he's out there. Well, if he hides in the corner, that's one thing. But he was huge on the offensive glass 
Um, I know he only got a couple of offensive rebounds, but he chased down some loose balls. Uh, you know, what, what do we say that, you know, I hate, you know, this word, but role players play better at home. It's just, a, it's just the truth because they're, you know, they're energized by the crowd. They're more comfortable. They're in a setting that they're familiar with. So it's just kind of this, this effect that it has on these guys. And what do you know? You know, guys like PJ Tucker play better. Look at what Pat Connaughton did. I thought Pat Connaughton was outstanding off the bench. And uh, one of the plays that I think has gone unnoticed, and I actually asked him about it today at the finals, was during that 30 to nine run that the Bucks used to close the first half. And uh, this was right at the beginning of it or in the middle of it, whatever. But it was a five-point game. And the Suns got a stop while Campaign and Devin Booker had two-on-one going the other way. And Pat came back, guarded Campaign after he received the pass from Devin Booker, and got a stop. He, he waited for his teammates to get back after he made the initial shot alter and his team got back once they got that stop pop pop right over to pj tucker three ball three ball and that made it from a three-point game to where the bucks would have had a three-point lead to a game where the bucks had an eight-point lead and then from there i feel like just the momentum completely came crashing uh for the Suns, and the bucks just again just knew that they had some sort of uh, advantage by the way they were playing and it was together and they were the pace was amazing and they were up and down getting stops we know how good of a defensive team Milwaukee is they have been a great defensive team all playoffs long maybe with the exception of game one in the finals and maybe a game one or game two against Brooklyn like they're a good defensive team that's what's so maddening about watching them when they don't stick to what they know and you know, do what they do best because when they get these stops and get out into transition and you know that Giannis is coming down the lane, like a locomotive that that's scary. You can't stop that. Well, the sons of the team that during the playoffs have just played with the utmost confidence, kind of like when, when games are tight, they, they know that they're going to pull it out. They kind of just have this belief in it, but it feels like there's been a chink in the armor here and you know, the bucks, played with a certain level of swagger in game three. Now, is it just because first game back at home, we're on a roll? I don't know. And that's what we're going to find out in game four. But it it sure feels like there was a little bit of a different swagger. And that's what makes this intriguing now. And the other thing is, too, just the way that they're doing it. Because it's not like, oh, we were at home, so we just got hot and hit a ridiculous amount of threes or something like that. No, they were aggressive and they took the fight to them. And that that's what you want to see. They were confident in it and they kind of beat them up, you know, physically. And that's where I want to see, can the Suns come, you know, thwart that now? And that the Suns are so much more dependable, I guess, when you look at overall. I mean, during the first few rounds, we looked at the Bucks or the, the Suns and say, yes, they have two stars. But we're even three stars with eight in the way he stepped up, but they're a well-rounded team. But now it just feels like because they have been dinged up and because it's been so up and down with some of the different guys, you need those star players to play like stars in the NBA finals. And that's why it is so dependent that Aiton, who got in foul trouble and almost never does, has to stay on the court and Booker 
has to play more like he did in game two of this series and the previous series rather than what he did in game one and game three. Yep. And you got to find guys that are willing to take the shots. And Jay Crowder was Jay Crowder went six to seven from, from deep. Um, he was really uh, pretty much their, their, their only source of offense other than Chris Paul and Deandre in the first half. They, they can't uh, afford looking, bridges disappearing like that. Well, yeah. So, you know, Mikel Bridges coming off of an amazing, amazing game two. He was tremendous. He was putting the ball on the floor, doing the, the, the mid, you know, the mid range, uh, you know, pull up game, uh, making his, his threes in the corner, making them from the, you know, the elbow playing amazing defense, getting his hands in there, um, you know, forcing, you know, turnovers, deflecting the ball. Mikel was outstanding in game two. And then you had, you know, this performance on the road. Now, granted, this is Mikel's first experience in a finals on the road. So, you know, he turned the ball over four times. He didn't really look like his usual self, right? And, you know, that's going to happen with some young players. And, you know, you can you see it even with Devin Booker. It happened to Devin Booker, too. It's natural. Uh, now you look at how they respond, right? You look at how they respond. Uh, again, I see Booker taking more than 20 shots. I probably see Mikel Bridges putting up at least eight. You know, like those are the 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 the, the aggressive tactics that they're going to have to use in order to make sure that this is 3-1 going back to Phoenix with a chance to close it out. But it feels like there's a series now. Like after the first two games, I mean, I the old mantra is a playoff series doesn't begin until somebody wins on the road. However, you know, the Suns came out in game one took it to the Bucks, boom, they're in control. They take game two, Bucks starting to figure some stuff out, but at the same time, you're sitting there going, Suns, Team of Destiny, Swagger, all of that. Well, now they get punched in the face, and we're going to have to see how do they respond. But it sure feels like something different happened in game three, and it feels like this really is a serious series now. Yeah, no, it does. And, um, you know, maybe by the time <laughs> this is Wednesday night's over that we're completely wrong. But I, I really do think that there's a whole momentum thing going on here. Um, and it, it it's going to be fun. I think that uh, game four is probably going to be. Uh, we haven't had a classic I, game in this. Yeah, I mean, everything's been won by. That's what team. I'm saying. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a one or two possession game. And then, you, you know, everyone look, comes down and looks at the game fives and stuff like that. But I feel like game fives, um, the team that takes control really takes control. And then we get like a close game seven after something like that. So, game fours are the ones that are usually the really, really competitive games yeah, in and, these series. And, and they've, you know, don't get me wrong. Like you, you look at the, the scores and you think it's not competitive. It has been. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed watching these games. The intensity, you can clearly see it. Uh, but as far as a close score goes, yeah, I would put my my eggs in the basket of a game for uh, Phoenix, knowing that if it gives Milwaukee any more confidence that it's going to have to earn a little bit more uh, than they had uh, anticipated, maybe. I'm interested in seeing where it goes, because it, like I said, I think it feels like it's something different now. And. Game you know, game five, obviously, if it's tied 2-2, it's a pivotal game. But it sure feels like game four is just as pivotal because of where we thought the series was going and how we feel about now after just one game, that being game three. Cool. Give me a prediction. I mean, I think it's going to be tied 2-2. And All right. 
we're going to be going to game five and we've got a whole new series at that point. It's a best of three and Suns will still have home court. But by the way, I wanted to bring this up real quick too. Um, the, the schedule for the NBA finals is weird. It's very long. <laughs> it's well, very normally, long. Normally you only have two, you know, a game or a full day off in between. And they're like, Game four is Wednesday night. Game five is Saturday. Game six would be Tuesday. But if there's a game seven, it would be on Thursday. So you're getting, you're having three days between these games, which is weird. You know, we don't get that. I mean, traditionally, there used to be a run where it was always Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for games. And that's that's changed now. But now they're doing three games three days between each game, which allows teams to really recover a lot more. And that's got to help Chris Paul a lot. And it's definitely helped Giannis coming back from that injury. Drew Holiday literally commented on that today and says, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I, they got to love it, man, because yeah. get that extra rest. But I do find it interesting that if we do, do go to a game seven, that, you know, game it's basically a back to back. Yeah. And the game seven is on a Thursday and that's, and because yeah. of travel. I mean, you think about it, you go from game six to game seven, you're going from Milwaukee to Phoenix. Yeah. And remember these playoff games, when you talk about the physical and mental strain, people talk about these being like equivalent to two regular season games each and just knowing what is on the line. It's, it's, it's different. It's weird. I mean, it, I mean, from, from a fan standpoint, you get a little selfish because you're like, man, it's not a game tonight. Why isn't there a game tonight? But I think it probably helps when it comes to the competition level, just because guys are hopefully a little fresher from having, you know, that extra day of rest, but they're not going to get that if they go to a game seven, which is just, I mean, those are always nerve wracking, you know, trying to get your rhythm and everything anyway. And then to add to that, that you're not going to have as much rest going into the game. If it goes to a seven, I, I think is very interesting. It is. It is, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. If if I have to pick, oh man! I mean, I'm not. I can't pick a winner of this. I'm still sticking with my prediction that the Suns. Yeah, win just talking about in, game in, four in six, uh, but game four. I, I think the Bucks are going to take game four. You know what? Yeah, I will go with the Bucks as well. My original prediction, it was Suns and five. Um, you're, you're changing I, your prediction already. I'm going to, I'm still picking the Suns to win the series, but you're, you're jumping on my bandwagon of six games. I just, I got to see how Devin responds on the road. Yeah. I got to see that because it, because I don't know how mentally it, it, it takes a toll. You know, uh, Chris Paul has been shooting the ball. Well, Do you um, think so Devin's been be watching, um, Kobe Bryant tapes nonstop since game three. Maybe. This guy, this guy, he's watching Kobe's documentary over and over. Just trying to get those words in his head. Maybe my mentality. Yeah. All righty. Lightning round here, Brian, and then we'll get out of here. Lightning round. Uh, Different rumors that are going around. Uh, Mm. We have the Rockets that are pursuing the number one pick, apparently, and really covet Cade Cunningham. While reports out of Detroit are that they really like Jalen Green. Do you foresee a deal being made here? If they do, uh, the 
the Pistons should be putting out everything saying, man, we love us some Cade Cunningham. That way, if they want to make that move, they can get a King's ransom. Um, and I'd be curious to see what the Rockets actually have to offer. Um, because remember, they've they've made some moves before. They also made a big trade last year and got some assets. Um, so that that would be very interesting to see. Uh I, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we like to see a little uh little drama and a little intrigue. A little drama. Know? Yeah, you know. So I mean, I mean, we all along we kind of thought like the top pick could not be in play. Maybe it is. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, the Pistons were throwing out all signs originally that you know Cunningham was their guy, and maybe that was a little bit of a smoke screen, but it really hasn't been a secret that the Rockets love Cade Cunningham. Yep, and, and Jalen Green as well. And they they would like to move up to number one to get him. It's just what what would those assets be? Isn't it isn't it interesting now when you start looking at this and you look at like Cunningham and Mobley, that Green is kind of the the really intriguing guy, and he seems to be the one that a lot of teams are coveting. And he's a guy too that I really like. I mean, seeing him already play and kind of. I think what his game would translate to the NBA. Um, that's why I always wondered, like, would the Orlando Magic want to put five and, you know, put their two picks together, see if they could move up. And I don't even know if that would be enough, um, what else they would have to offer. But he, Green could be like a linchpin, I think, to this whole draft. Could be. Could be. Because I know, you know, Cavs are interested in him. They're also interested in Mobley. There's a lot of stuff. Mobley would be I, I a would... great fit with the Cavs. I there's there's a lot that uh, I'm I'm looking forward to come draft night on the 29th. But uh, in the meantime, you talk know, about you your can, cabs. <laughs> I will get there. But in the meantime, in the meantime, make sure you visit basketballnews.com draft page. Matt Babcock and Derek Murray putting together such a great mock draft. Every every single player on that draft has. a a page that you can click on got great video highlights uh, breakdowns interviews we've got it all so uh, make sure you visit basketballnews.com's draft page for all of your nba draft needs they're doing a hell of a job over there and i've actually got a profile of myself coming up here i've already done three of them i've done uh cory kispert of gonzaga i've done uh, amir sims of clemson and i have done uh io disonmu from Illinois. So if you want to check those out, go ahead. But I have Trey Murphy, the third from Virginia coming up on uh, Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that because that was a really good interview. I really enjoyed it next. So you want to get to the Cavs. Let's get, let's get it out of the way. Let's get it out of the way. Um, You're the Colin Cavs Sexton, yeah. Colin Sexton, that name is just out there, out there, out there. The rumors are so loud. I've got people calling me about that. I, I just don't know. I don't know how realistic some of these rumors are. If if I can be quite frank, because he has one year left in his rookie deal. So obviously they have to pay him to keep him. And are the Cavs willing to break the bank? I don't know what his value is. Some we've talked about before, how aggressive other teams would be in wanting to get him and what they would give up to get him. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into this. I don't think you have to pay him right away. 
I think you can always pay him in restricted free agency next season. You don't have to come to terms on an agreement before the season starts. There's no reason to rush it. Uh, that that is my that is at least my opinion of this situation. If you look at what actually what Jared Allen's going through right now, uh, the Nets had the opportunity to extend him. They did not, and now Jared Allen's looking at quite a handsome payday in restricted free agency. So I just don't see the need to move off of Colin Sexton if I'm the Cavs because one, you have a bona fide scorer, 24 points a game a guy who shoots nearly 40% from deep, somebody who has made strides with each season despite having four head coaches, um, somebody who has really developed uh, from a playmaking standpoint, from a standpoint of shot selection and uh, selflessness. And, uh, you know, he's still only 22 years old. There's no reason, I don't think, for them to deal somebody like this who is on the cusp of being an all-star, mind you. J.J. Reddick said he voted him in as an all-star, by the way, um, because of what might happen in the draft or what might happen in free agency. I think you take your time. If draft night shapes out some way, sure. If the offseason shapes out some way, sure. But there's no reason to kind of rush any of this. I, I just don't get it. Uh, the noise is very... It feel it's it's real. Don't get me wrong. There's smoke. There's fire. Um, teams are obviously coveting Colin, but that should tell you one thing: that the Cavs did something right with Colin Sexton, or Colin Sexton did something right for himself uh, by playing so well. And I'm thinking to myself, would a return for Colin Sexton that the ones that are being floated out right now be worth it? Would it be worth it? Like there was one that came out, uh, and I'm not discrediting the report. Uh, I'm not discrediting any of the noise, uh, but I saw one floating around. I think it was Evan Damarell of Forbes that said a possible package would be the Knicks trying to go after him because they're currently the most aggressive suitor, by the way, according to Shams Charania. The package uh, could possibly be Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and a first-round draft pick. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, so you're telling me that Kobe Altman passed on Kevin Knox for Colin Sexton. He passed on Obi Toppin for Isaac Okoro last year. And that's that's the deal that you're going to give for Colin Sexton. That? That doesn't no, feel no, no, like no. enough. No, not, not nearly enough, Brian. Not nearly no. enough. And I'm not even trying to be at a homer. Like that, that literally is not even close to what Colin Sexton is, is worth. And here's the here's the here's the, the Knicks point. are going to be aggressive going after a point guard, but you got to be more aggressive if you want to get a scorer like that. Yeah, Colin Sexton's a combo guard. That's another that's another misconception that a lot of people have because he's he's smaller that he's a point guard. No, he's a he's a he's a two. He's a, a combo guard that can play both positions, but he's not going to be your first playmaker. Okay, but that's that's what has me kind of like, why would they do that? Why are you know? And I don't think that they're they would do that. I think that just because you see an offer floating around, um, just because you see a rumor going out there, doesn't mean they're accepting it and doesn't mean you should react as if they're accepting it. How many times have we seen rumors in the trade deadline and in the off season come out and you're like, huh? That haven't happened. There's hundreds. There's hundreds. 
I mean, so, it doesn't hurt the Cavs to listen, but it doesn't mean that they're no. going to take any of them seriously. Right. And that's why I'm trying to get to the bottom of this is who the hell is leaking this? Because there's no way that his agency would gain anything from leaking that. I don't think because then, then you're showing, then you're showing that a, a guy at the end of the bench for the Knicks, uh, an unproven rookie and, and Obi Toppin uh, for now, he could be something very good. I, I enjoyed what he did in the playoffs, but still unproven and a late first round draft pick. That's what your near fringe all-star Colin Sexton is worth. No. So who's who the hell, who the hell's going to be leaking that? The Cavs? I don't know. We we haven't heard any friction between the team and Sexton, and no. it's not like we've heard any rumblings that Colin wants out of Cleveland. No, 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 no. I can tell you that. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Um. But th- this is where I think it comes back to maybe his value has gone down because of the way that these anonymous leaks have come out about him as a teammate, which is completely unfair to him. Uh, I've heard multiple people tell me that uh, they're really disappointed in whoever did leak those, those things, because um, from what I've heard that, that, you know, there, there's some people that need to look themselves in the mirror in that organization and, and, and in that locker room um, and, and stop, you know, pinning it on one, one player. Um, and, you know, that's as far as I'm going to go into that because then I'm going to start really getting upset, but, um, yeah, the, the, the trade rumors make sense. And the, the, the fact they're listening makes sense because of the payday, because of the situation that they're in. But to me, I'm, I'm thinking it's a lot of noise. I'm thinking, you know, values trying to get drummed up. Um, do I foresee a trade happening? I don't think so. If they take somebody that's a guard in the draft, whether it's a Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, maybe there's some more validity to it. Um, but if they go after and get Evan Mobley, then what the hell's the point of trading Colin Sexton? That's what I don't get. And then the, the other thing, too, that fires me up is that they're talking about Colin is hindering Darius Garland's growth. What the hell? What? Darius Garland's coming off of his best season as, as, as a pro. He's, it, he's currently a part of the Olympic team uh, at the select team. I, that, that, that makes zero sense. There is no logic to that whatsoever. So it, the unfair treatment of Colin really kind of grinds my gears because it happens around Cleveland a lot. Um, and I just want to cover him fairly. And I, I think that people don't cover him fairly. So that, that just kind of, it gets to me, especially for somebody that's put in so much work. Like I said, has had four coaches had a 52 different teammates yet has continued to grind and continue to put his head down and it is only getting better. So that, that, that's how I feel about that. Uh, could he be on a different team next year? There's, there's a chance it could happen, but I just, I, I don't see the argument for having to have, you have to move this guy. There, there, there's no, no, you don't lose out on that uh, for, for pennies on the, on the dollar. I, that just makes no sense to me, but I, I will say uh, if there's other teams that are coveting him uh, and I saw the heat, I saw the Lakers, uh, you obviously see the Sixers. Uh, the Knicks are obviously, uh, you know, uh, a huge uh, per, uh, team that's in there. Like, these are winning teams that want to go after this kid. So he's doing something right. And uh, I think that it's it's damn time that people should treat it that way. Now, after that rant, and I didn't want to get into that much of a, a tirade, uh, there's... There's another uh, player that is a uh, restricted free agent that's drawing plenty of interest, and that's John Collins. John Collins is drawing plenty of interest. Uh, the latest report from Shams 
It's the Mavs, it's the Heat, it's the Spurs, and it's the Wolves. So uh, those four teams, what are we thinking about that fit potentially? And uh, would Atlanta, who has Onyeko Nkongwu, by the way, uh, that looked really good in the playoffs and is probably going to play himself into a larger role, is Atlanta going to be willing to match an offer that he gets? Well, I think it's going to depend on the money. And I think, I think John Collins, who has bet on himself to get a max offer, I think is going to get a max offer. Now, which team is going to do it? I don't know. I mean, the Wolves obviously are, are trying to be active, and it sounds like they're trying to do a lot of different things. So maybe they're the ones that sit there and say, hey, if we want this guy, we're, we're going to go max on it. Um, would the Mavericks go that high? I don't know. Um, but I, I do think that Collins is probably going to get a max deal. It doesn't mean that the Hawks aren't going to keep him. Maybe, maybe they say, hey, we will match it because, or we'll give it to him first because no matter what, it's an asset. And we're not giving up an asset like John Collins for nothing. We're at least going to resign this guy keep them on our payroll. And if we want to move them later, we can. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I'm, how many I'm times have these... we seen that where a guy doesn't get resigned and then you just let the guy walk, you lose that asset. I are, mean, you, are you thinking, are you thinking about uh sign and trade possibilities? I, I think you could, but I mean, it, it just depends on what team you're doing it with. Cause remember the, the cap ramifications that go with that now, mm -hmm. because if you, the team that you trade him to is locked into a hard cap situation at that point. Sure. So there, there's some things that go into it there as well. Um, but it, I guess it, it just depends. I mean, we, we've seen this too many times where teams have just get let guys walk. And it's just like, no, it's almost better to like slightly overpay a guy and then figure it out later. I mm -hmm. mean, I mean, just talking about like with the Lakers, like, Everybody's like, oh, well, they're not going to bring back Dennis Schroeder. I'm like, you want to bet? <laughs> you want to bet? Because <laughs> they're not going to let an asset just walk. The only way they would do that is if they somehow figured out a way to replace somebody for that position. And I I don't know how you can do that. The only way they could see it, and it's kind of like the, the thing that I've thrown out in the universe just to kind of will it into existence, and it's the sexiest or exciting thing in the world, is my guess that, you know, or I don't know if it's really going to happen now saying that John wall was going to get bought out and he was going to be the starting point guard for the Lakers next year. But I don't know if the Rockets are really going to buy him out. Uh, but I, I don't see a scenario where the Lakers won't bring back Schroeder and then figure it out. And I think the Hawks are probably in that same situation where they say, yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money, but we got to do it. And then we got to figure it out. You know, who's in the same situation. The Pelicans, Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball, another restricted free agent. So, by the way, as we're talking about all these restricted free agents, back to the point about Colin Sexton. <laughs> like, you see how many restricted free agents that are, you know, big names like this and very talented players are in restricted free agency and they didn't have to figure out the rookie max extension thing? Yeah. Look, look at, look at, just look, look at the field right now. Okay. But again, beside the point, Lonzo uh, drawing interest from the Clippers and the Bulls. Uh, the latest report from Shams. Yeah, he put out he put out a giant article this morning. That's why I mean the, 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 the Bulls rumor has been out there for a while. A while, yes, yes. And, and here's the crazy thing too. It's just like Lonzo had great chemistry. I thought with that team, and if they just let him walk 
to me, that's a huge mistake. I mean, I don't know how much money he's going to cost. I don't, it's not going to be max, but what do you think for him? He's going to get 20 to 25. Whew, that's a lot. <laughs> that's <laughs> a, a lot. lot. It is a lot, but for a guy. And in a who, free agency class like this, I understand. Yeah. Someone's going to have to pay money. Let's see. He's a big guard that can play both positions. Really he's good defense. Really good defense. He's a gifted passer, even though he's not necessarily a guy you want running your offense. And he's a very much improved three-point shooter. He's like he's like a three and D guy, but like on steroids. You know, like he you know, every he came into the the league as this like you know, looking at a point guard or something like that. But he has the playmaking, you know, ability to do that. But maybe he is what best served as being that guy that defends. Um, shoots threes. He does have to put it on the floor a little bit more. But my favorite thing that he does is those those you know, three quarter courts passes. Um, you know, after he gets the rebound and really pushes the tempo. And you need someone like that. Uh, I think the Bulls and Clippers could obviously use something like that. Um, but I, I'm not sure if the Pelicans will be able to match that. Uh, especially thinking about the you know the future, whatever draft pick they bring in this year, if they do, because the rumor is that they're looking to deal number ten. But, uh, you know, you look at Zion, uh, the, the contract that he's going to command, and you look at uh, even, you know, Brandon Ingram's on the books right now. Steven Adams, they're going to have to Eric try to get off of that. Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, there, there's a lot of bloated, bloated deals there. So paying another 20 to 22 million, whatever it's going to be, uh, might not be suited for their best interest. So we'll see on that. Can I do uh, my weekly, uh, let's shoot down a rumor? Uh, segment of a of ex player going to the Lakers. Okay. Yeah, it, I'm sure the Lakers would love to get Lonzo Ball. Like Mark Stein even threw something out there about how they're, they're not going to get Lonzo Ball. I don't know how the hell that could even happen. They're not getting Lonzo Ball. <laughs> Here we go again. You know who else probably not going to the Lakers, but is uh, also ben, in uh, yes. Ben Simmons. <laughs> yes, you you beat me to the punch. Uh, trade talks are opening though for the Sixers apparently. So. Uh, this one, I think, would have some merit to it because we know how the season ended. And we heard the comments after the game. And obviously, you know, emotions are going to be running high. That's what happens when you're eliminated from a playoff series. Um, but we've talked about this before. Um, ben Simmons, he should be held in high regard. I do find it interesting that the teams that are connected to him, though, are ones that are not so good, you know, because they have the money, uh, maybe some big contracts to trade. You know, you look at a Sacramento, you look at a Minnesota who apparently is a huge contender for that, for him. Uh, you look at Cleveland when they talk about Colin Sexton and, and Kevin Love, like these are the teams that are in on him right now. And uh, it, it's interesting to me that I don't know if that's a value thing or if that's because of the contracts that are, you know, able to, to be, parted with Portland's another one uh, that's more of a winning team that's in on him. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious about where these go. Uh, if these go somewhere on draft night, maybe, or right before draft night, uh, I, I'm, I'm genuinely uh, interested. Well, I think it makes sense though, from the standpoint that so many different teams around the league still covet Ben Simmons and was he 24, 25? I mean, he's still, you know, incredibly talented, but I, I think the reason why is because so many of these teams sit there and go, we could fix him and 
we are a team that has had trouble attracting free agents. So let's go out there and get a superstar whose value is lower than what it was and is locked in at four years and what about 35, 36 million per. So they're sitting there going, we know we're going to get them for four years. You know, I, I don't think Ben's going to be able to force his way out, <laughs> no. you know, or anything right now. So I think there, there are going to be these teams that are lower around the league. that are rebuilding that will say, I'll take a chance on getting a guy that we believe can still be a massive superstar in the league. No question. No question. And I, I, I don't think they would do it, but I would find it very interesting if my trade scenario played out uh, with the Sacramento Kings. Um, Why isn't Orlando win on this? Well, I, I guess, yeah, you could say because, you know, he he can get treated like a power forward, right? You know, like they they, they have Jonathan Isaac. Well, they do have a ton of point guards. There's a lot of. Well, Are they going to trade Markel Fultz back? Sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of teams that you could sit there and you you can make an argument for why you wouldn't make a move for Ben Simmons. I oh, mean, yeah. And but even though the report said that what they're looking for, obviously, is they want a star player in return, which, okay. I mean, how how do you look at C.J. McCollum, who is a very, very good player? Um, is he an all-star player? Borderline. Okay, you want to sit here and talk about the Timberwolves. I'm like, that's got to include D'Angelo Williams, who they bent over backwards to get to pair him with his buddy. And I, if I'm the Sixers, I'm saying, going, why do I want him? I don't, I don't think D'Angelo Russell is going to be the the centerpiece. Yeah, he shouldn't be a centerpiece of a deal for Philly. Just in that, no. in that regard. Um, by the way, when it comes to Philly, you can't tell me that if somebody comes knocking hard for one Tobias Harris, that they're not going to be putting their, you know, their hand to their ear going, go on. Because I, you know, I don't think they're shopping him, but uh, they will. They'll listen. I think they'd listen too, but I, I think that Tobias also thrives under Doc, and I don't. I don't know how they would take that uh, that kind of split. Well, he didn't but thrive in that last series of the playoffs. He did not. He did not. He would thrive before it, and he then did. you know, eventually came crashing down. But um, you know, the, the, the Thunder uh, were another guest because of obviously Kemba Walker being over there. Um, not that I think that you know Kevin Kemba Walker for Ben Simmons would, you know, be the the right move. Would you but, like you know, to have a that. Would you like to have a guard rotation of uh, SGA, Kemba Walker, and Ben Simmons? Well, Walker would be going back to Philly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, but uh, I think that you know Simmons would be still on that timeline uh, with SGA. Um, what offensively, a that would be off, what a offensively, that would be a little ugly, but defensively, yeah. that'd be real tough. That'd be a real tough backcourt. Yeah, uh, I, I saw mean, that the you know, you don't have to play Ben, you know, at shooting guard either. I mean, he's right, he's a Swiss Army knife kind of guy. So, uh, I we did see that the uh, Pacers uh offered Malcolm Brogdon and then a deal, yeah, and uh, the Sixers apparently shot that down, but mm. uh, I'm I don't know. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on my Kings, Brian. I'm keeping an eye on my Kings. I, I'm I just think, thinking to myself, I, I know the decisions that this franchise has made in the past, and I know the pressure that comes uh, with the, the quote-unquote win now. And I'm not saying that De'Aaron Fox ain't a win now player. I think if 
Philly got De'Aaron Fox. That would put them right on the map again. Um, more on the map. What would that um, but, have to be like? Fox and Heald? Uh, I don't know. But Fox's deal kicks in next year. I know that. Uh, and he signed a rookie, rookie max. Right. So that'd be, you know, a big part of it. But uh, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, Sacramento is always preaching this defensive mentality, right? So, you know, and they're, you know, lacking some size at that position. So I'm just, you know, in my head, just kind of turning the gears a little bit. I'm just like, I could see them trying to, to quote unquote, buy low, um, especially because, you know, De'Aaron's been there. Uh, for the time that he's been four years now and uh, you know, haven't gotten to the playoffs. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do because De'Aaron Fox is clearly the face of their franchise is amazing talent, uh, all-star level talent that should be doing more um, and, and really, you know, can use some help on his team. Uh, but I'm just thinking, you know, I, I know how the Kings, I know how the Kings operate. And, and that's just something that just, is turning in my head a little right. bit. It's and, not. And, it's not anything that's reported or anything like that. It's just to me. I'm just like, ah, I think that that would actually be plausible. They want to go star hunting. They feel like they've been close. That maybe that'll put them over the top. They got Halliburton to take over the point guard reins. Exactly and, the Halliburton you know, part too. And they can mm-hmm. they can move off the money that comes with the Fox. Maybe like I said, if you put Buddy Heald in that, they could move off that money as well. I know you're taking on a big contract in Ben Simmons, but it's like a two for one kind of a thing and make the money work. So I mean, there's 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 are definitely ways to get there. Other team that I saw that was interested in Ben Simmons real quick before. Um, we get out of here, Toronto. Yes, which I would like to see how they would work that deal and who would be involved. Would you have how- to imagine Van Vliet, right? Oh, there's no way they're trading Van Vliet. You think they'd trade Ben Simmons for for Kyle Lowry for two years of Kyle Lowry? Well, I mean, Stuff. I don't know. I don't think you can do that because of sign and trade, though. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, would. Pascal would have to be in that deal. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I like that fit. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the fit is with that one and who would have to be involved. That's an interesting thought. Toronto fans. If I think would not be too thrilled if you say we just move Fred Van Vliet, kind of the heart and soul of our team. And a lot Pascal's of Pascal's one of those guys, too, though. Yeah, and, but they traded him for Ben Simmons. And the issues that come with that. It's fair. It's fair. You know, I, I I think Ben, I mean, obviously you, you want to see guys be in winning environments, but he might be better to be in a team that's a little bit more off the radar. The Sacramento Kings, baby, make it happen. Sacramento Kings. Make it happen. <laughs> um, real quick, uh, before we take off, uh, what's your, your thoughts on Jamal Mosley uh, being head coach of the uh, Orlando Magic? We obviously know his relationship with Luka Doncic. We thought he was going to be in waiting there for the Mavs, and then we obviously know the whole ordeal uh, with Jason Kidd coming in with Nico Harris. Um, and then uh, apparently I, I read somewhere that Rick Carlisle was very um, instrumental in actually helping Jamal uh, with this Orlando Magic uh, interview by by showing you know, the, the, the hiring parties, uh, the good things. So maybe not so much a friction as we thought, uh, but good on Jamal for getting this job. Uh, it's been well-deserved for a while. He was here in Cleveland. Uh, I never got the chance to talk to him, but he always seemed to be a really good dude and, and uh, was able to connect with his players. Obviously former players are able to connect with former players very right. well. That's why he's got this job and 
Willie Green's about to get the job in, in New Orleans. So I was, so I lived in Orlando for most of my life and I hit up a friend of mine in that market and we were talking about this hire or right before he got hired. And I was like, I thought this was a good hire. His reaction was, but I think some of that is because I don't know how much a lot of fans know about Jamal Mosley and the opportunities that he's been waiting for with this and just kind of the way that he's earned this because he has a great rep around the league when it comes to communicating with players and um, to, when it comes to developing young guys as well. And this is a situation that he wanted to be in. I mean, you could sit there. I mean, there's, there's two parts of this. Number one, there's only 30 head coaching jobs in the NBA. So you take what you can get. But I also think that Mosley was genuinely interested in this job with your Orlando Magic because of the young talent. And, you know, they still recognize they're a few years away. And this has been kind of the, you know, the ongoing rebuild to a rebuild to a rebuild, um, especially now that they traded Vooch last year. But I think they look at it going, if this team can just stay healthy, they've got some talent, they've got some draft picks coming up, they've got some assets who's going to be the guy that kind of molds it all together. And they're going to go with the first time head coach, but it's somebody that's been around the league. And I think has a lot of respect from a lot of different players. So I, I like the hire. Good. Yeah, no, I, I do too. I think it's the timeline. That's the thing about coaching hires is you have to fit the, the coaching type and the fit, the, the right, Another word for timeline. I can't think of another word for timeline, but it's timeline. You know, they, mm-hmm. they got to be on the same page. If you get a big name coach to be a development guy, usually don't work out. They usually don't work out because they're so focused on winning. Now we saw it. Stan Van Gundy got hired to the Pelicans. They expected to compete almost right away with this group of young guys. And uh, it didn't work out. And he favored, you know, giving time to guys like Eric Bledsoe and, and Steven Adams instead of, you know, really letting Nikhil Alexander Walker and Jackson Hayes, who really burst onto the scene at the end of the year. Uh, so guys being on the same page with the front office, but also knowing that this particular coach knows it's going to take time and knows that he's got to take it step by step. Because again, favorite thing that I, that, that I've heard all the time is just, you cannot shortcut the process and the process damn near takes three to five years and that's if you're lucky uh, to get back to relevancy and get into that playoff picture. So um, do you like the Willie yeah. green hire for the Pelicans? Because I, I wasn't sure if he was going to get that opportunity. What? Yeah, no, I, I do. Uh, and God, man, I, I'll tell you right now. I know that I know I'm not old, but I'm just seeing all of these coaches get these, these head coaching jobs. And I'm like, I remember watching him play. Oh, I know it's starting to set in on me now. You know, the guy who's is almost 30 now somehow. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Willie. Uh, I think that he's been a really good uh, influence, uh, especially on that Suns team. Um, did a lot of great things uh, with New Orleans, or, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the Hornets in the past, uh, the Hawks. He's, he's been actually a part of your magic staff. Um, he's just really good connect with players. And again, we talk about it again and again and again the trend of player coaches getting these jobs, the guys that have played the game. K 
can connect closer to people who do the same thing that they did years and years and years ago. And a lot like, of times it's point guards. It is. It, it is. is. Just like now, if, Willie, Willie's a shooting guard, but yes. Shooting guard. But, you know, like in baseball, a lot of people say the catchers make the best, you know, coaches. And in, you know, basketball, a lot of people say it's point guards. Not always no the case, but you see that a lot, you know, and, you know, some other coaching, you know, Nate finally get the got the Hawks job officially. So that's that's a smart hire by them. And then look at the what's going on with the assistant coaches in that the Lakers are tied to Scott Brooks and he ends up going to the Blazers and being part of that staff. And then the Nets, once again, bringing on another really good assistant and getting uh, David Vanderpool. Yep, and this is going to be, I'm telling you, man, one year and done. Yeah, you'll be Dave, one and David done. is right. going to get a job next year. We, yeah. We've been, we've been, Sacramento we've been beating Kings. That. Here we come. <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. Coming to save, <laughs> save the franchise. I say baby. That now, but it might be right. I mean, I'm not trying to, hey, you know, we're going to go back to this clip. Door, Do but... not forget that. Do not forget that a year from now, if that happens, <laughs> I would love it. I would absolutely love it. But yeah, no, good call there. The only team I think we're waiting on left is the Wizards, right? Yes, and didn't they um didn't they interview Phil Handy? They did. They interviewed Phil Handy. They've 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 apparently really liked what uh Wes Unsell Jr. uh has provided. Yeah. Uh they're interested in guys like Charles Lee and um Jock Vaughn obviously pulled his name out, but uh so so you see the type of, of coach that they're going after. They're kind of trying to find that middle of somebody who is is still a younger side but can win now. So I was, I mean, I think Phil Handy is extremely talented, but I didn't really hear his name being thrown around the head coaching circles until that one head coach head coach is, uh, it's about managing a lot. Right. Uh, and it's about organization, uh, being able to get to your players. So I think that's why Phil, um, if, if he was able to get this job, like, I think he'd be tremendous because that is what he does. He builds relationships. That is yes. that part. But that's it, why it, it, I, as I, far as the on-court strategy and all that stuff that we don't know. Yeah. That, that's why I think, like, obviously the Lakers would be happy for him or, you know, he'd go. But I think the Lakers would, like, throw their body in front of him <laughs> before he went out the door, you know, please because, like, he's so valuable over there. Like, no, please don't go. Please we tried to go. get Scott Brooks and we couldn't get him. <laughs> we got fizz got fizz got fizz there, there is some talk too that i think you know when it comes out Lakers staff that they're going to hire another offensive minded you know coach to replace kid they're going to snag d'antoni from brooklyn that, that ain't gonna happen my goodness but there, there, <laughs> we know how that went before i there's been some talk or some some kind of scuttlebutt that maybe they will wait until they see what the roster is going to look like before they bring in another, you know, an assistant, an off, offensive assistant coach, shall we say. Okay. Our Lakers news brought to you by Brian Fritz. Number one Laker fan. You Love got it. me as a Laker fan. You got me as a Luca fan. You get me as a rumor monger. Yep. Good Lord. That is what you are. Okay, I think we've babbled boy. enough though. I think we've babbled enough. Okay. Uh, we hit everything. So uh, I was very pleased with this podcast, sir. We, we didn't talk about the Dame the Warriors rumor, but, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, hey, we want Damian Lillard. That's what it is. I just hung up the phone. Everybody's just going to hang up the phone? 
We don't want Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and and Taylor Horton Tucker. Happening. My God, that's no, not no, no. That's not that's not uh, the package no. that everyone thinks it is. The the Warriors, the Warriors rumor is interesting, and I I think as we get deeper into the offseason. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I went, I immediately yeah, went you, to the Lakers. Of sorry. course you went Lakers because every, every <laughs> Lakers fan is like, they wants to go that way. So they're going to get them. I'm like, that's not the way yep, it works. There it goes again. Uh, there it goes again. But, you know, I'm just, God, I'm making fun of Lakers fans now too. I'm going to be drawn and quartered. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the Dame rumors seem to be getting louder and louder. Yeah. And you do, and you, you, you start to hear stuff like, well, as deep as the West is, maybe now with him in his prime and maximizing his value, it would be smart for the Blazers to move on. I don't know, but I think it, it might be one of these situations where Dame is like, you know what? I feel like the time is right, but I want to be the bad guy because I do love the Portland fans and I've been the star of this franchise. I think, I feel like it's a coin flip of him getting traded this offseason. In the past, they didn't think that way, but now I feel like it's a coin flip. Let's not forget, too, the Supermax kicks in. It's going to be a lot of money to try and trade. It's really, really, really hard. Because, like, in really year three hard. or year four, he'll be making 50? Yeah. Good luck getting the contracts back that is worth a player of the caliber of Damian. Well, that's, that's why we talk about this Warriors rumor, like Wiggins, Wiseman, 7-14, and 14 plus a additional picks. I mean, a team with Steph Curry and Dame Willard, two guys that have been compared to one another sharing the same backcourt. Offensively, it'd be, uh, it'd be so fun. Oh, it'd be so it, fun. It, and especially if you get a healthy Clay Thompson back at the court, finally key, key word, offensively, offensively, exactly. Offensively. <laughs> There's only so much Draymond can do. Yes. But I yeah. mean, that would be, um, that would be fun. It would, yeah, yeah. I, it would be interesting to see how that would play out. Um, and and the, the Warriors are not shy about spending money or being aggressive. And, you know, they're looking at a timeline when it comes to, to Steph saying, we're not waiting. You know, we've got some ammunition right now. And if we see something, we're going to strike. Of course, as they should. They, they should absolutely be like that. I, I don't fault them for that. They should absolutely be on the lookout for talent. No yeah. question about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying from the, the Blazers standpoint, there's a lot of deals I'm hanging up on unless unless I get oh, a third or fourth team involved. There, there's there, a lot of deals I'm hanging up on. And, and there better be some some damn good draft picks or some marquee player that's on the uh coming from the other side. Needs to be a whopper. And look at that. You still you still uh it snuck in the Damian Lillard stuff. So well done, sir. Thank uh, you. I will I will try this again. I think we've babbled enough. We've hit every probably possible rumor uh, to come out. We even got a uh, breaking news happened uh, during a podcast recording. So that's probably the second time that's happened. So that was cool. Um, but uh, that's going to do it for us here on Keep It at 94. Once again, we're a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Got 10 other great podcasts for you to listen to. Not limited to the Rex Chapman show with Rex Chapman and Josh Hopkins. Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Mark Gray. The Pose Cast with James Posey, the Dishes and Dimes podcast with the ladies, the rematch with Aton Thomas, the Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr., the Alex Kennedy podcast, Top Shot Weekly with Alex Kennedy and Oliver Maroney, 
the Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, and of course, Clips and Drew, the follow through with Clips and Drew, that is. Uh, so make sure you go subscribe, like, rate, review, do the same for us because we like feedback and we want to interact with you. I'm pointing my finger. You can't see it, but we want to interact with you. So please do that. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, on Twitter at Spin Davies. He's on Twitter at Brian Fritz. I'm also on Instagram at Spin Davies, and he is also on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. So until maybe the finals will be over, maybe they won't be. We'll see. We shall see. But until the next edition of Keep It 94, you guys take care. Mm-hmm.